Hello and welcome to another unexciting episode of the Hashtag Pistons podcast. I am Joe. I am your host. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore truck. Joe Truck on Twitter. You can read me right about the Pistons at Piston Powered. And of course, hashtag basketball.com. You can read me right about the Grand Rapids Drive, the Pistons G League affiliate at Palace of Pistons. And you can read me right about the Pistons and other general NBA things on my site, truckthoughts.com. Um, I just put up a piece yesterday at Piston Powered. Uh, there's a nice piece on De'Aaron Fox from me today on my site. Um, back with me today is Kuka Hill. You can find him on Twitter at NBA. You can also read him right about the Pistons at Piston Powered. He just had a very nice piece drop today as well, I believe, right? And uh, yes, Yep, looking at just sort of a general piece, looking at the Pistons' first five games. And you can also read him on my site, truckthoughts.com. He's mostly written about the Lions, the Detroit Lions so far. And yeah, so that's us here today. Um, obviously, Koo was not here yesterday, so he hasn't had a chance to to give his wider thoughts on the, the beatdown at the hands of the Celtics. So we're going to start off with letting him riff a little bit about that. So go ahead, Koo. Um. You know, don't know what much to say. It was pretty bad from start to finish. Uh, I think it was bad that it was really bad to see that Brad Stevens, like before the game, our friend Martin asked us who's going to stop Blake Griffin this game. I responded, Brad Stevens. And like as soon as Blake got the ball, he had Brad Stevens had, had multiple plays. Even before he had the ball, he had like them fronting Blake in the post and he had some waiting backside for him. And it was pretty much asking for another piston to do something, do something uh, about it, and no one else really showed up except, you know, we're going to talk about my man's later. But outside of that, it was pretty bad all around. Blake had his worst game of the season by far. Uh, he didn't shoot very well. I believe he missed all four of his threes. But yeah, it was just it was just all around bad. I didn't really like. I didn't do anything afterward. Like watch it afterwards. I didn't do like read any recaps or anything. It was just I. It was bad. Well, I I did watch it again. Oh yeah, actually I lied to you. I I read your recap. Oh, you did. You did a shout out to me in the middle of the recap. I saw it. Oh yeah, I did because Stanley Johnson played pretty well. Um, since we're already talking about that, I figure we'll just start with this because you brought up the way that the Celtics defended, um, that the way they defended against Blake Griffin, and you know it was not it was not some super brilliant super complex scheme or anything, but it was pretty clever in what they did. So, and if you read my, my, um, film review that also went up today, if you read that, um, you'd be able to, this is all pretty much in there. Um, and there's some video clips and such to illustrate things. But so basically what the Celtics did is they sort of went into it, accepting that it just went up street sweeper right by my house. I hope that y'all didn't have to hear that. But they just sort of accepted that they were going to be undersized against Blake Griffin. And the way they combated that is they sort of went against conventional wisdom against a guy like Blake Griffin because conventional wisdom says, all right, Blake Griffin, he's not a great shooter. He's much improved, but not a great shooter. Absolutely killer if you let him get in the paint. So the thought process that you would have is, well, we'll lay off of him when he's outside of the paint and then, you know, throw double teams or whatever when he gets there. 
The Celtics just basically threw everything at him to keep him out of the paint. They played right up on him, um, even out beyond the three-point line. They were right up in his jersey. And basically, they played super physical with him away from when he was outside of the paint. And I think he did draw like six or seven, by my unofficial count, he drew like six, seven, or eight fouls in this game. But it didn't matter because most of them were not shooting fouls. Because he's basically totally exercised mid-range shots from his game, right? And for what it's worth, that is a good thing that he's done that. But the end result is that when he had the ball in sort of the mid-range and such, the Celtics, they just played right upon him. They played super physical with him. And then, geez, that's really loud outside my window. I hope that's not showing up. If it is... Sorry to everybody, but I'm not going to bother to change it. But regardless, um, they played right upon him, and they fouled him a bunch, but because they played physical with him before he got into the paint, he wasn't going to shoot it, so they were never shooting fouls. And it was just that was smart, because then the other thing is that when you foul so much like that and play super physical, they're not going to call the foul every single time. And so then when he's not fouled, so when he does actually get into the paint, he's having to fight through really physical defense, he's probably getting fouled, and he's going to have a really tough time getting off quality shots at that point. So basically they just they just, they just just covered him really, co- really closely away from the paint, which I thought was clever, and then because they just have so many guys who are so long and athletic, um, they're able to just send double teams to him and then recover out to other players when he did pass out. And so, yeah, just it was a really clever scheme, not that complex, uh, but it was well thought through and very different from anything else that any other team has put at him so far this season. So I think that, and this is one thing looking into the next game, I suppose, that because Blake Griffin is a really high IQ player, I think that in their next game, which will be when this comes out tonight. Uh, I think they'll have a good chance at Blake Griffin having a good game because of the fact that he will have seen the defensive coverage very recently, obviously. It was the last game they played, and he's just such a high IQ player that I think he'll be able to take better advantage of it somehow or another. But for this game, it was super effective. I mean, Blake Griffin scored just seven points, uh, shot two of 13 from from the field, he only shot four free throws, only had three assists against three turnovers, minus 14 on the night. Just really a miserable outing for him. And it was mostly the Celtics that did that, a combination of a really clever scheme by Brad Stevens and then also just the fact that they are just overflowing with really high-quality defenders. So, yeah. <laughs> um, the next thing we've got, obviously, which I'm sure you'll want to talk about, is um, Stanley Johnson. He was really the only Piston who had a who had a good game. Um, played 27 and a half minutes, 16 points, two assists, shot six of 11 from the field, and he was only minus six on the night, which is pretty impressive considering where most of the other starters were. So yeah, you can take it away on that for a little bit, Ku. What did you think of Stanley Johnson's performance? Um. I've said this many times. I've said it for years now. And I said it uh, as the game was going on. I believe, I don't care what anybody says to me. I know Joe has, has me and Joe got to arguments about this with the whole 
and just looks better when he's making cuts. I don't care what anybody tells me. I believe if you get Stanley Johnson going early in the transition game, you just let him go in transition, he starts to feel it better, he starts to get into a rhythm, and it helps the rest of the team. Now, I'm not saying he gets in the transition, he's going to turn into J.J. Redick or something, or he's just going to be like a demon now. But I feel like that he has a better chance to have a better game. He gets a better feel for the game if you let him get out in transition. He's like a, I believe Joe said last year, and like there was a stretch last year from like I believe January to like the end of February, when he was just like going in transition almost every game like three times. He just I believe Joe called him like a human bulldozer, and it was just like people just bounce off him because he's so big. He's built like a linebacker. So and last game he had a pretty finish on I forgot who it was he like jumped from like the dotted line and did like a nice little double clutch one hand layup it looked nice but like yeah once you get him in transition I feel like he has a better chance to get a better game and he hit a couple of his threes I believe he went two for six right two for five three for eight three for eight three for eight so yeah he hit a couple of his threes to start off the game a couple contested ones too but like. Yeah, he, and the defense that he played on Jason Tatum was just outstanding. There was one possession. I also believe Joe had this in his uh, his review. He put Jason Tatum on lock and key. Oh, Not yeah. only that possession, but like the whole game, he just had him completely clamped up. Well, I mean, and, this is something that I brought up before um, in past podcasts this season. Is that you know we've opened we've we've sort of wondered aloud about it a little bit. And a lot of other people have too about this idea that Stanley Johnson has not looked very good so far this season, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the things that I said is, you know, when the Pistons start to run into some really high quality wing players, we're all going to be a lot more thankful that Stanley Johnson's on our team because he's really the only, the only good option that the Pistons have to defend those kind of guys. And even though I mean, this game was such a blowout that it was easy to miss. But I mean, Stanley Johnson, like you said, he really put the clamps on Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum scored just six points, shot two of nine from the field, uh, went only plus five on the night too, which I'm not sure how much of that was actually Stanley Johnson. But um, obviously six points on two of nine shooting, that's mostly Stanley Johnson. And yeah, you brought it up, but I did have that clip in my video review of that game so if you want to see that you should go watch that but yeah there were several times that Stanley Johnson just absolutely put the clamps on him defensively and as the Pistons continue to go into the season more when they run into teams that have guys that are really high quality wing players even assuming that Stanley Johnson's offense falls back off we're still going to be very thankful to have him on this roster because the Pistons really don't have any other good options with it. So, sorry, I kind of interrupted you, Koo. You can keep going. No, you didn't interrupt. That was close to the end of what I was saying. He, he played a really good game defensively, like we talked about, and then offensively he had, what was it, 16 points? Yeah. Yeah, 16. Yeah, he had 16 points. And like I said, he was hitting his shots early. He got on transition, which I believe made him helped him feel the game a little bit better. And I just really hope the Pistons. I saw you also talk about this. Sorry, I keep referencing Joe's. Uh, our, I mean, our you can reference it, but, it all you want. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. A, those those freaking film reviews, man. That I, those are pretty. I gotta give Joe credit. I I don't, I don't like to give Joe credit on a lot of things, <laughs> but Joe Joe's film reviews. I really like reading those. It's it's real in depth and gives me like a little a different perspective. Well, but, you should. You can plug those all you want because those are pretty. 
those are pretty labor intensive. So I always feel bad when, because some of them, like, they absolutely bomb and, like, no one reads them occasionally. And yeah. when that happens, I just feel like such an idiot because they take so much time to do. So yeah, you can I plug can that as much as you want, but keep going. I got you. Uh, but, yeah, I know Joe mentioned in his uh, in his article that I don't, he doesn't know if, like, we should play Stanley Moore with the second unit. Should he just come off the bench? Should he be, like, uh, put into the game with the bench start but then, like, be, like, one of the first ones out and then come back with it? Because – Blake likes the ball in transition, and of course you got Reggie out there. And a couple of now, one thing I disagree here is that maybe coming off the bench, or not coming off the bench, but uh, coming in with the bench after like coming out after a few minutes because Blake likes the ball in his hand so much. I still think we could get Stanley the ball in transition because there's multiple possessions where Andre Drummond will get the rebound and he'll just start dribbling like for no reason to the three point line. And then, like, either one, it results in a turnover or it just slows down the whole offense in, in the result. But I think we can find uh, ways to find possessions to get Stanley the ball in transition without making him uh, come back for the second year, which, which still could be a good idea. But, like, I, I just believe that we could still find reason to use him. And I've always been of the, of the belief that when you have this player out there, instead of just, like, you know, okay, we'll bring him, off the, we'll bring him with the second unit and he'll be able to do it more then. You need to have him out. You need to have him out there doing some more things to his strength to keep the defense honest. You can't just have him out there playing five or four, and and I'm not saying it's going to make him like shoot better, but at least it'll give like defense something else to worry about with him. Because in that half court, I mean, I can defend Stanley as much as I want, and uh, and he's my favorite player outside of Derrick Rose. But I mean, but I mean, it's just like in the half court, it's. It's been it's been a good couple of years now of him just being easy to guard in the half court. So, so you need to find something else to help help keep the defense honest. I think transition is that, and it keeps it away from playing five and four in offense. But so, yeah, that's all I gotta say there. Well, I mean, you know, it is funny because you're like, well, Joe, we've gotten into arguments about this. You're probably like the only person in the world who's such a Stanley Johnson stan that you can paint me as someone who doesn't like Stanley Johnson. But <laughs> no, I never said you didn't like him. I just pointed out the arguments that we always have. I'm a big supporter of Stanley Johnson, and I have been one. But So the basic point of the transition stuff and sort of what I referenced, when you referenced um, my film review of this game, um, what I was talking about. So basically, in Stanley Johnson's career, for the most part, no matter what situations you've put him in or they have put him in, the problem is he's just missed shots. And, you know, if you can't hit shots from any situation, whether they put the ball in his hands, used him as a spot-up guy, used him more as a cutter, used him more as a pick-and-roll ball handler, used him as a post-up guy against smaller dudes, whatever, every single situation that they have tried to put him in, he's just not hit shots. And... You know, like you said, this trend sort of started last year when they started to bring him off the bench more. And it sort of ended once he was moved back into the starting lineup. But he sort of found a good rhythm as sort of being this just transition monster. And this game just, you saw it again. And it's just, you know, I was already pretty convinced of this, but this game just cements it that because it happened in a game where the Pistons had no offensive rhythm at all, they couldn't find anything. And Stanley Johnson was the one guy who had anything going, and it was him in transition. So, 
I think here's sort of the thing with potentially, I think probably the best solution is to try and have him on the floor without Blake Griffin, but with Reggie Jackson. Because, so, Blake Griffin, so like you said, obviously there are multiple possessions. But the thing is, Blake Griffin likes to do the thing where he gets the rebound, and then he turns it and goes right into transition. And that's also where Stanley Johnson really thrives. He really thrives not necessarily on getting an outlet pass. He thrives on going down, grabbing the rebound, and immediately turning on the Jets. And the thing is that Ish Smith is also a guy who really likes to handle the ball in transition, whereas Reggie Jackson as a point guard, if he gets the ball in the back, you know, off of a defensive rebound, whether he gets it or, you know, Andre gets it and passes it to Reggie Jackson, Jackson is a guy who's going to be much more willing to look up the floor, see someone running up the floor, and just toss it up to them. Whereas Ish Smith is more likely to just take it himself. So I think that that's probably a good answer because um, when you have Blake Griffin and Stanley Johnson on the floor together, they're sort of going to cannibalize each other for those sorts of chances. And the other thing is that the reality is, as much as we both love Stanley Johnson, I think we have to be fair and say that if you'd rather have, you'd probably rather have Blake Griffin taking those opportunities with the ball in transition than Stanley Johnson. And so if you sort of move Stanley Johnson to not playing as much, or at least when Blake Griffin's not on the floor, making sure Stanley Johnson is, it sort of gives your offense another dimension without Blake Griffin on the floor. So you can sort of, he can keep, I guess the best way to put it probably would be to say, that you can keep one of the dimensions of Blake Griffin, you can keep that on the floor even when Blake Griffin is off the floor by putting Stanley Johnson at the four spot because he really thrives at that, at just getting the rebound and charging out into transition. So Actually, I have two things to ask you about that. Actually, yeah. I have say and then a second thing to ask. Uh, in fairness, from just the eye test of me watching and just remembering games, I believe that they've done that when Blake comes out the game. I believe it's Stanley coming in for him at the four. They have they usually have Stanley or Reggie Bullock coming out first, and then when Blake comes out, it's usually Stanley coming in back in for at the four spot. So uh, in fairness, I'm, I may be right, I may be wrong, but just like in fairness to Casey, I'll say that no, I you believe he has done that. You are mostly correct about that. That's that's oftentimes what they've what they've done. the The main issue is basically, I guess, with this is that Blake Griffin is so regularly just played so many minutes that yeah. <laughs> it's hardly mattered. So I guess, but you are correct. They have, um, Stanley Johnson's pretty much played the backup four minutes. What the rotation has usually been is Stanley Johnson has been the first guy out and Langston Galloway has come into the game. And then Ish Smith has come in for Reggie Bullock. And I'm then they've gone with those. That. Langston coming in first. I think that it's time for us to start questioning abandoning that little shift. But we I mean, can get into that. We can, I, shoot, we can talk about that right now. I mean, it doesn't matter. Oh, wait, wait. Before we get that, I forgot my question. Uh, my oh, question yeah. for you. My question was, uh, before the season, we both talked about Stanley at four. And you said that you were, you were okay with this. And I don't know if you said you were a fan or not, but you said that it very well may work out, but, they have, but he hasn't done it at all throughout his career. So you didn't know how it would go. Do five games, how do you think that's looked? Um, you know, once again, it's a little bit tough to say because first off, Blake Griffin has just played so many minutes 
that mm-hmm. I mean this game they he only played thirty, but that's because it got to be such a blowout. Um, here, let me double check exactly. So even with this game where he played less because of it, it was a blowout. Blake Griffin's playing thirty five point eight minutes per game. So other than this game where it was a blowout, he'd been playing like thirty eight or something like that. So you know that's one thing. And the other thing to remember is that the Pistons have not exactly gone up against a uh, a murderer's row of opponent power forwards. So that is that is one thing with it. But yeah, like you said. Stanley Johnson at the four is something that I've been intrigued by for, and honestly, since he came into the league, it's been something that I've kind of wanted to see them try, and Stan Van Gundy never really did for various reasons, some of them good, some of them bad. You're good. You could talk, whatever you're about to say. Well, I was just saying that uh, one of the strengths coming out that everyone talked about was the, his capability of defending one through four. Yeah, well, they, I mean, for what it's worth, just to be fair, um, Stan Van Gundy was not above trying to have Stanley Johnson defend some power forwards. Uh, in fact, you know, I'm. there were a lot of things that Stan Van Gundy did poorly, but I actually think he made some really good decisions defensively. Uh, we've talked about this before, but I think that what he ended up doing with Andre Drummond last season on the defensive end was spectacular. I think that was one of the best things that Stan Van Gundy did as a coach in the Pistons. And I also think that he did a good job in just sort of using Stanley Johnson as this all-around wrecking ball. Um, There were some nights that he defended opposing point guards. There were some nights he defended power forward. So he did do that, but he certainly was not used offensively ever as a power forward. He (laughs) He was used more often as a shooting guard than he was as a power forward on the defensive end, or offensive end. But yeah, so it was just something that it's like, this is something I like and I would like to see, but we haven't seen it before, so who knows how it will go. And I've mostly liked it. Um, the one thing that I'm a little less certain about is that when the Pistons use him at the four, it's almost always involved um, three really undersized players um, yeah, exactly. with him. A lot of times it's been him at the four and then Ishmith, Reggie Jackson, and Langston Galloway. And Reggie Jackson is probably the biggest guy there, so he's probably technically your small forward. And I think that's too much. So I would be more interested to see, at the very least, him on the floor with Reggie Bullock at small forward. Because Bullock at small forward is like, yeah, he's a little undersized as a small forward, but he can do it. And yeah, that's wild. So I kind of feel like um, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I, maybe I should have. I'm not going to bother to. But um, And also, the sample size would be so small that the numbers wouldn't actually be that useful. But if that trend continues, that he plays power forward with you know, three of just in absolutely tiny lineups, it's not just, oh, we're going small with Stanley at the four. It's we're going super small with Stanley at the four and freaking Reggie Jackson at small forward. Um I feel like some of the numbers may end up a little bit skewed with that because they'll probably get slaughtered on the boards. And I would think that there's a good chance that that would have more to do with how small they are in other places and less to do with Stanley Johnson. But just sort of, I just think that there would be sort of a lot of crap on the sides that would make it hard to distinguish um, how effective Stanley Johnson himself is at the four because of the lineups with him, I'm 
pretty skeptical of. But I've mostly liked what I've seen from him. Honestly, all season, to be quite frank, I've mostly liked what I've seen from him. Um, obviously, the age-old question with Stanley Johnson remains, is he going to be able to hit enough shots on the offensive end? But I mostly have liked the way that he's played. And obviously, in this game in particular, I loved the way he played defense on Jason Tatum. So, yeah, with him at the power forward, it's something that I've wanted to see for a while. The early returns are pretty good, but it's definitely too early to really say anything concrete yet because not just because it's only five games into the season, but also because so he didn't even play in the first game, obviously. So he's only played in four games, and Blake Griffin has played such huge minutes that we haven't seen a lot of him at the four. So I'll I'll give it more time. But the early returns are certainly not bad, at least, I guess I'll say. So, yeah, that's what I'll go with. It's too early to make anything even close to definitive, but there certainly have not been any really bad signs so far with him at the four. So, yeah. Um, and since we're already talking about it, let's just talk about Lanks and Galloway. Um, what do you have to say about Galloway? Um, the, obviously, the main reason why he's in, at least what I believe, is his outside shooting and his just shooting in general. And he hasn't brought that at all so far. Actually, I won't. I won't be. I won't be that disrespectful with it. And act like he's just not doing anything. But he's not doing it to a level of being able to be out there over other people. I mean, it's it's fair to say that he's been doing basically nothing so far. Langston Galloway. So so far this season, he's playing twenty five minutes per game. He's shooting thirty three percent from the field, and fifth. That is 1-5% from three. That is, for those keeping track at home, that is a true shooting percentage of 43%, which is quite bad. And for what it's worth, Reggie Bullock is also shooting really, really, really poorly so far this year. But, yeah, I mean, you know, my bigger issues with Galloway are more so how he's being deployed. Um, As we just said a moment ago, I'm not a fan of him on the floor with Ishmith and Reggie Jackson at the same time. I think that's just too small. Uh, and um, in particular, now obviously Kennard's hurt now, so this is a moot point, but I don't like that he, it looked like he'd overtake, not even looked like, he had. He had officially overtaken Luke Kennard in the rotation. Not a fan of that at all. I think Luke Kennard is better than Langston Galloway. But I sort of- it's worth saying this is the sort of player Langston Galloway is. He's a very, very streaky shooter. And at some point, he's going to hit shots. And, you know, I mean, who knows? Maybe it's his next game. If he comes out and he... Because a lot of people have made a big deal about lineups with Langston Galloway on the floor for the Pistons have been terrible. And a big reason for that is because Langston Galloway has been terrible. But... Ooh, excuse me. But if he comes out tonight... And he has one of those nights, and we all know he's fully capable of this, and he goes like 6 of 8 from deep or something like that, all of this is going to change in a hurry. So I'm not that worried about his offense, just honestly. I think he's fine. He's just he's the sort of player that you just have to accept. He's going to go through stretches where he just, you know, he can't hit the broadside of a barn. He couldn't throw the ball in the ocean if he was standing with his ankles in the deep, you know. So... <laughs> 
Um, but then he also is going to go through stretches where he's just an absolute fireball from deep. So that's just that's just how you what you have to accept with a guy like Galloway, and it can be very very tough when he goes through these stretches where he can't hit anything. And for what it's worth, this is one of the reasons why I really feel like Luke Kennard should have been in front of him. Why I feel like he shouldn't be playing 25 minutes. Maybe give some of those minutes to Glenn Robinson, whatever. But if you're regard, I think he's being used poorly. I guess is really what it is. I'm not worried about his shot long term. He'll start to hit shots. I just think that because he's that kind of a player, he's a guy that you don't want to have to play really heavy minutes every night because he'll go through these stretches where he's really bad. And when you're playing him 25 minutes a night, that means that he's going to go stretches where he's he's really negatively impacting your game. So I'd rather sort of tamper his negative impacts when he's off by playing other guys more minutes. So, yeah. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Not only... Not only is it, I mean, the reason why he's out there is to provide shooting and, and to score. And, and I, like you said, he is streaky and he has moments when he's just hitting everything, and that's fine. And I understand all of that. But when you've got two options that I believe, I know you believe at least one of these options are better. I believe both of them are better. When And Luke Kennard and Glenn Robinson. And now Luke's, Luke's hurt now, but I was talking about from the first five games. And then even moving forward with Glenn Robinson. Luke should have been getting more of these minutes than Lakeson was getting in the first five. And then even moving forward, I would much rather see Glenn Robinson out there than Lakeson because they they provide something. They can do something else when they're struggling. Like Lakeson, like you said, it more points to the three-guard line, which I guess if he wasn't out there playing small four, it's still he wouldn't be as bad. But if you are going to have Reggie Jackson-ish out there, why is Glenn Robinson not out there then? Why don't you have Glenn and Stanley put Stanley at the four, and then you got Glenn at the three. If if Langston's struggling this bad, Glenn can sit, can hit the uh, the corner three. He can hit threes, but the corner three is where he uh, really specializes at. He's athletic, and he's a I think he's a much more longer and just taller than uh, he's bigger than Langston, so he won't have as big of a mismatch on defense. So I just really don't understand the playing Langston so much, even after Langston. I'm not Langston. Even after Luke has gotten hurt. I still would rather see his minutes go down and play Glenn Robinson. But like Laz, Laz uh, for Detroit Bad Boys, he said um, he mentioned this on Twitter when I was wondering where Glenn Robinson was. And I don't know if you guys remember. I know Joe will remember. But anybody listening remembers at the end of the game against uh, the Nets, I believe it was the Nets. Yeah. He uh he was supposed to foul i believe was the was the plan coming out the timeout and he didn't and blake griffin was the first one like to run after him and like get into his face and let him know like what were you doing and then they even asked him after the game johnny kane asked blake what happened right there and blake didn't like snitch him out or anything but he was pretty much like yeah we didn't do what we were supposed to do but we move it on so i don't know if that has like something to do with it maybe casey feel like you can't trust him on defense um just to interject they did ask about it. Now, Dwayne Casey is not Stan Van Gundy. Um, where with Stan Van Gundy, he would never, you know, he never beat around the bush with anybody about anything. But Dwayne Casey did say that there were no issues with Glenn Robinson at all. And that it was just, you know, like he said with Luke Kennard before, where it's just, well, we've got this many minutes for people and he's just not playing right now. So, 
you know, it's possible that that's not true and he actually is concerned about that specific play where he didn't foul at the end. But, yeah, so he, at the very least, Dwayne Casey has said that there's nothing more to it other than that he just isn't playing. So, yeah, you can keep going, though. But, yeah, just pretty much what I'm saying is, as there's just other people that I would rather see play besides Langston Galloway. It's, he's the reason why he's out there is to provide shooting, and he's not providing that. So, especially when you have him out there with two other guards, and he's what is he? Is he's close to just as small as Ish? Um, not maybe, but like he just, he's not Galloway. He's like six foot one only, but he's got he's listed at six two. But he's got like, he's one of these dudes a little bit like Reggie Jackson. He's got like a seven foot wingspan or some crap like that. So he is big enough that you know he's much. Ishmith is tiny. That dude is maybe six foot tall. He's got freaking T Rex arms. Like that dude is tiny by any stretch of the imagination. Langston Galloway is big enough that he can get away playing shooting guard. And he can, you know, much like Reggie Jackson, you can get away with putting him on most shooting guards. And he can sort of at least masquerade occasionally as a small forward even, or at least guarding bigger wings. So, yeah, I mean, that's just there. I mean, with Galloway, playing him over Luke Kennard was utterly baffling to me because Luke Kennard is basically a better version of Langston Galloway to me because... Kennard's a better shooter, he's a better ball handler, he's a better passer, uh, he's not quite as fearless of a chucker as Galloway is, but basically, Kennard is, does all the things Galloway does, but better. Um, while the decision is a, still similarly baffling to play Galloway so much over Glenn Robinson, at the very least there is some logic there, because Robinson, I mean, he can shoot a bit, but... Robinson is not a shooter on the same level as Galloway. Like, even though he shot a good percentage in his career, he's never been a high-volume three-point shooter. He's a guy who likes to go in and chase offensive rebounds, that sort of thing. Um, So at the very least, Galloway and Robinson are very, very different styles of players. They're very, very different roles. So even though, in particular against this Boston team, I mean, I don't know why you wouldn't play Robinson because... It just seems like if there's one team where you'd like to use as many of your long wing players, which the Pistons basically have two, Stanley Johnson and Glenn Robinson, I don't know why you wouldn't use him in that game. But at the very least, Robinson and Galloway are the sort of different enough players that you could say, well, we want Galloway out there because, you know, he is he's more of a shooter and he's going to provide better spacing and such. And he brings some more ball handling that Robinson doesn't bring. But playing him over Kennard just made no sense to me because Kennard does everything Galloway does but better. And I th- my guess is that in that regard, Dwayne Casey probably overestimates uh, the difference between Kennard and Galloway defensively. But, yeah, so I think that Robinson should be playing more for sure. But I do, at the ver- I do sort of at least a little bit see why you would play Galloway over Robinson, even if yeah, I don't if agree quit, with it. If you quit just hard enough and lean your head to the left a little bit, read upside down and, and close one eye, then maybe I, I see it too. But I'm just, I, I think Glenn should be out there. Well, I, just, I agree with you. I think it's, 
once again, especially against a team like the frickin' Celtics, who have these long wing players coming out of their ears. I mean, I don't know why you wouldn't play him. But I'm just, I was just figured, I'm trying to be a little bit fair to Dwayne Casey. I'm trying to go out of my way because I've spent so much time complaining about him. <laughs> I'm trying to go out of my way just to make sure people know that I'm aware that he does some things that are good. He's not, you know, he's not a total bum of a coach. And so I'm just trying to point out that there is at least some logic to playing Galloway over Robinson. Even if I look at that logic, I go, yeah, I'd still rather play Robinson. Um, at the very least, some of those minutes. And uh, so I don't know for sure in the end. It's it's a tough situation because I think, I think Casey's very worried about... Um, I think he's worried about playmaking on the floor, and I think that's why he's spent so much time playing Reggie Jackson and Ish Smith together. And I think he's maybe overstating that, but the Pistons definitely have had a deficiency in playmaking in recent years. So it's not the worst thing that he's trying to focus too much on that, I suppose. But, yeah, I do agree with you, though. Glenn Robinson should play more. Um, yep. You want to align up the I I've been, I wanted to see playing against Boston last game that I hope we see tonight. What? This you may not like it, but I think this lineup can like do very well defensively. Make it make it to where you can like switch across the board. You at least have a chance of doing something like that. I want Andre or Blake at five. I mean, that's got to be Andre because if Blake's at the five, it's not going to defend anything. Yes. So I was about to say it's going to most likely be Andre, but you know, like you were saying with Blake playing so much, I'm sure he wants him on the floor. So if he were to have someone else out there, then yes, I would prefer it to be Blake at five, but Andre Stanley at the four, Glenn Robinson at the three, Reggie Bullock at the two. And then whichever one you want at point guard, if you want, I, I want Reggie there. I mean, but, if you're yeah. going for defense and switchability, then it can't be ish. Because yeah, Ish has no switchability. I Not that he's like way worse defensively overall than Reggie Jackson or even Langston Galloway is, but he definitely does not have anywhere near the sort of switchability that those guys have. Yeah, so I'd want Reggie there at point guard. But the main one I was just look like, the reason why I said either or is because I, I'm not going to act like I know completely the rotation and exactly how he wants like the minutes sorted out and everything. The main one, mainly one I'm looking at is the wings, right? The Stanley, yeah, Glenn Robinson, and Reggie Bullock right there. I believe all three of those guys could switch. Uh, I, like you said earlier, Reggie Bullock is uh, like maybe a little undersized at small four, but he's someone that you can put there, and he's not going to be just like bullied around. So you can switch all three of those guys across the board, and I believe that would be like perfect against the Boston Celtics with everyone, with Jalen Brown, Tatum, Gordon Hayward, I mean, I didn't even think that – actually, no, I won't go that far. I, I was about to say – I was about to say I'd even trust Stanley on Al Horford. And, I, would you know, trust, maybe, I would trust Stanley Johnson on Al Horford. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, okay, you know what? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go back. Well, to okay. Conference. Well, so Al Horford – so the thing that you worry about with playing Stanley Johnson on a guy who's that tall and because – and, you know, it's one of those situations where Stanley Johnson is a stupendous defender – but there's a point at which guys can just shoot over you, and there's no amount yeah. of skill that's going to be able to depreciate that. Like last year, they tried to have Stanley defend Chris Porzingis. Yep, that's um, a wild thing. 
And I re- I'll, when they did that, I was like, yeah, let's do this. Let's see if he can do it. And he didn't let Chris Stapps Porzingis get into the paint or anything like that. And Chris Stapps Porzingis was just like, you know, <laughs> I'm seven foot three. I'm literally just going to shoot over you, and you can't stop that. Like, there's literally nothing you can do. And Al Horford's just not that guy. And he's not that caliber of a shooter like I that. think, well, he is a good shooter, but he's just, he he's not shooter, that guy who's going to just catch the ball at, you know, even 15 feet and just turn around and just with Stanley Johnson right in his jersey, he's not just going to turn around and sink and sink jumpers all day. And he's also not the sort of guy who's so big and strong that I don't think he'd have a whole lot of success bullying Stanley inside. The height difference is enough that he'd probably it'd be a challenge for the Pistons to keep Horford off the offensive glass, but um, yeah, yeah I would definitely trust him with that. So, like a guy like Lamarcus Aldridge, for instance, yeah. that's a guy I'll be worried about putting Stanley Johnson on because Aldridge is tall and he's a dude who's like, okay, I'm just gonna shoot over you all day, and he will, and he'll kill you like that. Al Horford's just not that kind of a player, so I'd be fine with that. Yeah, so like, I, I, my point wasn't for anybody listening. I'm not saying Stanley at five. I'm yeah. just saying that like, you could switch like a screen with Al Horford. You can switch like across the board because I believe Stanley. Like I said earlier, Stanley's built like a linebacker. He's strong. Like, ex- like you can see it when you see him play or after. Any- the dude's just big. He's strong as hell. So. I, I took the big man, and that, like I said, I just believe that kind of lineup against Boston defensively would give the Pistons a better shot at doing something if, like, we're just, like, struggling across the board. I believe that could help us out. Well, here's another thing about that lineup, and we're actually well over time, so this will probably be the last thing we touch on here, Koo, but um, All right. The thing that I would like to see with that lineup, but the issue is that they Dwayne Casey seems very clearly to not have much desire to do it, is that that could be a we're resting Blake, so we're just going to let Reggie and Andre run pick and rolls lineup. And they have very clearly, Dwayne Casey doesn't want them to do that. And in the early going, and we, me and Ryan talked about this pretty extensively on the last podcast, but... That's one of the most baffling things about from a coaching perspective so far this season is that the Arjax drum and pick and roll is pretty clearly your second best option behind giving the ball to Blake and just saying, Blake, go do things. And they've not really had any interest in doing it, and that's concerning to me because that is a really effective way to create offense. And in particular, an effective way to create offense when you don't have Blake Griffin on the floor. So, yeah, like you said, a lineup with Andre Drummond, Stanley Johnson, Glenn Robinson, Reggie Bullock, and um, Reggie Jackson. And honestly, you could even swap in uh, Langston Galloway for Reggie Bullock if you wanted to, and it would still theoretically work. But with that lineup, you'd have that sort of, like you said, you'd have really nice switchability on defense that you'd have a very real chance to be a solid defensive team. And one of the benefits of having Andre Drummond is that you can afford to go a little bit smaller at the four with Stanley Johnson. And as long as you have Andre Drummond on the floor, there's only so much that an opposing team is going to beat you on the on the glass, right? Like, I mean, they played, they played Tobias Harris next to him at power forward the last two years. 
Tobias Harris is a terrible rebounder, a worse rebounder than Stanley Johnson is. And they mostly did fine. They weren't a great rebounding team, but Andre Drummond is just such a beast that they can just say, well, we're going to go small at the four spot, and you're still not going to be able to really punish us on the glass because we have Andre Drummond. And then on the offensive end, you can just say, well, I mean, obviously Stanley Johnson's not a great shooter, but at the power forward spot, that's less of a problem. And then Reggie Bullock's a great shooter. Glenn Robinson can shoot, and you just run pick and rolls all day. And they just, they seem to have no interest in doing that. So I don't know why, but I do agree with you. That's a lineup I would like to see. Not even necessarily just just against the Celtics. That's just a lineup and a philosophy I would like to see them be willing to use. But yeah, they seem to not have a whole lot of interest in it. Yeah, they, it's, that's, I think that's a little concerning for me that we're not seeing much of at all. Reggie and Andre in the pick and roll, because like I believe we talked about, uh, we didn't talk extensively on it as like you and Ryan did, but me and you touched on it like I believe after Blake's fifty point game, when we were talking about how we thought maybe the that throughout the season you may see butting of the heads at some point between Reggie and Blake, and we after that game I said, well you know you think that oh they just got Blake we just got shut down Blake and then late in the game Reggie was like oh. You know, I'm a pretty good closer here, too. Let me go ahead and go do my thing. And then Reggie helped. I mean, I feel like that that's something that could give another dimension to the Pistons offense and take more pressure off of Blake. So, like, I do think it's a little concerning because I mentioned, like I said, I mentioned earlier, too, on another pod that I'm worried about Blake's load he's carrying for, like, the season. I'm scared oh, that it's going to, like, for sure. down. That's yeah. not, like, if you are not highly concerned about the fact that Blake Griffin has had such a comically heavy offensive load, you're stupid, okay? Like, that's just the reality. I'm just saying that. Because there are, there are some people where they're like, well, he's healthy. He can do it. And it's like, you're being stupid if you it, – it's just like if you say, well, he's healthy, so he'll probably – we just need to make have him make it through all 82 games. If you don't at least figure Blake Griffin's going to get at least a little bit dinged up and miss at least like five to ten games – you're just being stupid. That's the reality. All right? Most players today, you have to expect that. Unless you're Andre Drummond, who's just an absolute freak of nature, who's just like, I knew, I think in this game, he rolled his ankle a little bit, and he got up, and he yeah. kind of went, ah, ah, and he just basically stomped on it a few times, and he kept going. And it's like, how on earth do you do that? You're such a huge dude, and you rolled your freaking ankle, and you literally shook it off. Like, unless you're one of those dudes who's that much of a freak, you have to plan on guys missing some games. And especially when you're carrying that kind of an offensive load. And the other thing is, we've seen this with Dwayne Casey teams. One of the reasons Kyle Lowry has so often underperformed in the playoffs is that he's broken down at the end of seasons because they... I just heard about that just a couple days ago. Yeah, it's been a... It was a huge issue for the Raptors. And one of the big triumphs of last season, one of the reasons why Kyle Lowry played pretty well in the playoffs last year, actually, is that they didn't play him so freaking much. And I am, yeah, if you're not concerned about the load that Blake Griffin is carrying, you are dumb. I'm just, that is the reality. If you're listening to this and you have not thought, or you're thinking, <laughs> not necessarily you've thought, and you're thinking, no, that's fine, this is what we want. He's We're paying him this much, that's what he should be doing. 
You are stupid. I'm <laughs> saying that to you right now. They need to figure out a way to make him not have to do so freaking much for two reasons. First off, for his sake, because if you keep doing this, anyone other than LeBron James pretty much is going to break down by the end of the season. And then for reason number two, he's probably going to get hurt and miss at least a few games. So guess what? You need to have some sort of a plan B. And the thing that's so freaking frustrating is that they've got such an obvious plan B. They've got <laughs> Reggie Jackson and Andre Drummond pick and rolls. That's what this team was built around initially. That's a really good option. That's an awesome plan B. If they didn't have something like that, for instance, let's just say Reggie Jackson's not there, okay? So we don't have a really high-level pick-and-roll point guard and a really high-level pick-and-roll big man, okay? Then I could say, well, we don't want Blake Griffin carrying this kind of load, but what's your plan B? I mean, like, if he gets hurt, I guess we're going to have to figure something out, but they're utterly screwed if he gets hurt. They have no other offensive options. That's simply not the case. And you know, it, it might be the case. It's looking like so far they have Blake Griffin well, to get hurt. Yeah, because they're not because they ref, they they don't let Reggie Jackson run pick and rolls. I think the bigger worry to me is it seems to me as though Dwayne Casey has decided Reggie Jackson is a shooting guard, and there's been some people who have praised that and said, "Oh, Reggie Jackson's looked good." And Reggie Jackson has looked pretty good, but I think that's incredibly dumb because Jackson. I think that basically people still, and this is something that's frustrating to me, there's so many people who they still think, well, if you're a point guard, you have to be pass first. And all they think about is pass first versus score first. That's all they think about. They don't think about the fact that, yeah, Reggie Jackson is score first, but he's freaking awesome in the pick and roll, and he's great at facilitating out of the pick and roll. I wrote several pieces last season early in the year about the fact that even inside of the fact that you know, before everything fell apart, which was when Reggie Jackson got hurt, of course. You know, the Pistons had all this motion offense. Andre Drummond handled the ball a whole bunch. Tobias Harris was shooting more, et cetera, et cetera. But when the chips were all down, they still said, Reggie Jackson, you're going to run pick and rolls, and we're going to make it work. Like, you can go find it. I wrote a piece for Hashtag Basketball last year where they were playing the Timberwolves, and Reggie Jackson just utterly slaughtered them at the end of the game. I think... The Pistons were down by, like, eight with, like, four or three minutes left or something like that. And Reggie Jackson scored or assisted on, like, 17 straight points to finish the game, and the Pistons won. And it's like, this is not a dude who should be a frickin' shooting guard. You should not treat him as that. Now, having him play off the ball some more, that's fine, especially when you have Blake Griffin. Like, I'm all for that. I'm not saying that Reggie Jackson needs the ball all the time, but... The fact that in almost every game, I think even every game, they've closed with Ishmith and Reggie Jackson on the floor, and the uh-huh. ball's been in Ishmith's hands. That is, that is, that is the wrong strategy, and that is not going to work long term. Ishmith has shot really well to start the season. He's not going to keep that up. Last year, he set a career high by far in true shooting percentage with like fifty-two and a half percent. That's terrible. All right, I like Ishmith. He's not that dude. He is not a closing point guard. We know what that looks like, and it's bad. So I just, yeah, that's the wider issue here is that I think that Dwayne Casey thinks Reggie Jackson is a two guard, and Reggie Jackson is not a two guard. 
He's a point guard. He just happens to be a score-first one. And guess what? So is almost every other good point guard in the NBA. There's like two guys in the NBA that are actually really good point guards that are not score-first. So I think a lot of people need to pull their heads out of their collective asses and realize that, hey, this is the NBA today. Your point guard scores points, and that's all right. So, yeah, that was a little bit of a rant. That was more of a rant than I intended it to be. But, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we're well over time. We're over We're over 50 minutes. But um, do you have any sort of just whatever it may be about some closing thoughts before we wrap up? This is – I wanted to make sure I got this in. Since Joe went on that rant, uh, I got I got to admit and give him credit for this. It's only been five games. I'm already getting very – I won't say I I, I don't want to say annoyed because annoyed sounds like it's just like all the way bad already. But I'm getting close to being annoyed with the the in game adjustments by Dwayne Casey because I just it just doesn't make sense to me why I feel like throughout the season we're just gonna see this Reddy Jackson Ish Smith lineup no matter what like it doesn't matter who we're playing we could be playing against a point guard that's Magic Johnson size or the shooting guard. That's also his size, and we're still going to truck out there if Smith and Reddy Jackson and expect them both to, like, just do their thing out there. Like, I don't think you understand how frustrating it was to watch Ish Smith and Reddy Jackson for me, how frustrating it was to see them both out there against Boston last game when Brad Stevens was just obliterating them on defense. He was just, like... Well, just for what it's worth a moment. Those two were far from the only defensive issues. We had this down oh, as a yeah. topic. We we don't have time to get too far into it, but the Pistons as a whole were just miserable on defense. In fact, I actually, after my second view, Reggie Jackson was actually one of the guys who actually did better defensively than most others that were not named Stanley Johnson, just for what it's worth. But, yeah, keep going. Yeah, you, yeah, you said in your record a little video showing the, um, that Reggie Jackson was trying defense look at him dodge screens and stuff but like you said i believe you also said this in the recap i mean even if he's trying hard he's still slow oh yeah not, but he's gonna be slower and he's not gonna be some grade one defender and having both of them out there i just i i, I see it i liked it through the first like three games i understand like and scenarios where you could do it but having it out there no matter what and it looks like to me so far that it's gonna be something we see no matter what I have to give Joe credit on it so far through five games. I'm already very annoyed, very worried that there's not going to be many changes no matter what happens in the game. We're just going to go out there. We're going to do this game plan. Oh, they're destroying us with it. Well, guess what? Do it harder, and we'll and, and hopefully change. That's already something. Look, I'm not liking the city, and I have to give Joe credit on it. Well, you know, I've brought this up a couple of times, but with the Dwayne Casey thing, okay, here's the thing. I'm not, some people have already been coming at me saying, you know, this offseason, a lot of people were like, you know, he hasn't even coached a game yet. Why are you already judging? People are now going, you know, Dwayne Casey, it's only five games. Why are you doing this? It doesn't matter that much. Here's the thing. We're not just going off of five games when I say this. I'm going off of the fact that he was the head coach of the Raptors for the last seven years. And it's like, okay, this is from my piece this summer, okay? This was before the Pistons had hired Dwayne Casey. I wrote a piece at Piston Powered titled, The Pistons Should Not Hire Dwayne Casey, all right? Here's a quick 
excerpt from this. <laughs> there is a good chance that a Casey offense with the Pistons results in even more Andre Drummond post-ups, more Blake Griffin loitering around doing nothing and isolations, and we can't forget Reggie Jackson playing lots of hero ball. On the other side of the ball, the outlook would be less grim. Casey prefers a conservative defensive scheme that would probably be less effective. Say goodbye to Andre Drummond smothering pick and rolls beyond the three-point line. So, Koo, tell me something. <laughs> Have there been a more Andre Drummond post-ups this season? Yeah. Has there been a lot of Blake Griffin isolations this season? Yeah. Has there been a decent amount of Reggie Jackson and also Ish Smith hero ball this season? Yeah. Have on defense, have the Pistons been having Andre Drummond sit way back on pick and rolls? Yeah. Okay, so it's like, it's not that I'm saying I'm panicking over five games, right? And for what it's worth, maybe they will work some of these things out. But it's that you have years of information that says, this is what Dwayne Casey teams look like. This is what they do. So just as an example of something positive for them, okay? The Pistons have not turned the ball over very much this season, and they've rebounded really well. Guess what? Those are both also hallmarks of Dwayne Casey coach teams. Those are things you can expect to keep up the entire season. You want to know what else? The Pistons are 29th in the NBA in assists per game. You want to know what that is? Another hallmark Dwayne Casey thing. And so it's not just, oh, well, we're five games in, so panic. It's that we're five games in, and Almost every single marker of Dwayne Casey's Raptors teams are already very obviously on this Pistons team. And once again, there are good things about Dwayne Casey. He gets guys to buy in. The Pistons are playing hard. He gets guys to play together. Everyone freaking likes him, etc., etc., etc. There are good things. He's not some useless bum of a coach. I mean, the most obvious example, I would say, would be with Blake Griffin. Um, we brought I brought it up earlier, but... Blake Griffin has basically totally stopped taking mid-range shots. And I think Dwayne Casey gets credit there. Dwayne Casey clearly sat Blake Griffin down, and he was like, look, we need you to be aggressive in attacking the hoop. You can shoot threes all you want, but we don't want you taking mid-range shots unless, you know, it's a certain situation, whether you're, like, way wide open or late in the shot clock, whatever. And he's done it, and that's a credit to what Dwayne Casey. But don't bury your head in the sand and go, oh, well, it's early, so they'll figure out these offensive schemes, and they'll diversify the offense, and they'll do this, and they'll do that. They probably won't, because we have a lot of evidence that suggests Dwayne Casey is not going to do that. So, yeah, that's that's what it is. That's basically what I'm trying to say here, is that I'm not, I'm not panicking about five games. I know five games is not a sample that's worth anything at all. There are basically no numbers that I look at with individual players and I'm trying to infer anything over the course of the rest of the season. I don't care that Reggie Bullock shot like crap. I don't care that Ishmith has shot really well. That's going to change over the course of the season. These are things that there is a lot of evidence to suggest they're going to keep up. So that's why I'm worried about them. Mm, yeah, so any last thoughts, Koo? Joel's also guys that he's psyched. What? I said Joe's also trying to tell you guys that he is psychic and saw the future. I'm not. No, that's literally. It's I'm not trolling, psychic. I'm just trolling. It's I'm that trolling. I watched the Raptors for the literally like three years ago when I first started doing this. I just kind of when I first made my Twitter account, I just sort of happened to follow a bunch of Raptors fans. So I've been fairly plugged into the Toronto Raptors. I mean, as someone who's not at all a fan of them. 
I've been fairly plugged into the Toronto Raptors for the last several years. And guess what? Everything that we've been talking about with this Pistons team and Dwayne Casey, that's something Raptors fans have been complaining about for years. So it's not that Joe is psychic. It's not that Joe's just so smart that he saw this coming. It's that Joe paid basic outside attentions to what Dwayne Casey did with the Raptors. It's that Joe was, you know, Joe was able to do the due diligence to go back and look at some of the basic numbers that Dwayne Casey's teams had with the Raptors. That's all it was. It's that Joe didn't just go, oh, well, Dwayne Casey said they're not going to post a Andre Drummond anymore and they're going to shoot 43s a game, so that's what they're going to do. No, that's that's all it was, okay? It's not that Joe is super smart. It's that Joe paid basic attention to these things. That's really all it takes sometimes. Sorry, that probably, that probably came off as super pretentious. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so you all good then, Koo? Got all your thoughts in? Yep, I, I got them all out. All I right. think that I think that fans of the show, or not the show, the podcast, can pretty much book if he, if they see me and Joe on here, that it's gonna overrun because I don't know. If, We're over an hour. <laughs> I don't know if Joe has ever mentioned this, but before each podcast, he says. <laughs> He says before each podcast, cool, we're going to try for 30 minutes. Once you get to 30 minutes, we're going to try and wrap it up. And every time, I think so far, we've hit the hour mark. Yeah, pretty close at least. Yeah. Well, it's also funny because um, the Sunday podcast with Ryan is supposed to be the longer, more in-depth one. We only went like 40 minutes yesterday. <laughs> so, yeah, so much for that plan, but... <laughs> All right, we're going to we're going to wrap it up now though cuz we are over an hour and we touched on most of the things we wanted to touch on. So, um just as a reminder cuz this will come out tomorrow morning, um the Pistons will be playing the Boston Celtics tonight at uh what time is it? Let me double check. Uh Pistons schedule. They're going to be playing tonight which is of course Tuesday night at 7:30. It's going to be in Boston um at the TD Garden, and it'll be the first of um, a back-to-back. The Pistons will be playing them, and then the next day they will be playing, they will travel to Brooklyn to play the Nets. So, and this is going to be an important game for them because the Boston Celtics are really good, so they could lose to them, and then obviously on the second night of a back-to-back with travel, you never know what would happen, and the Pistons could very quickly find themselves at 4-3 and because... And even 4-4, four and because four, after the Nets, they go to Philadelphia. So if they're not careful, they could lose a lot of the goodwill they built up with that 4-0 start. So hopefully they improve some things and get it going a little bit. So, yeah. Um, from both of us, everybody, stay beautiful and go Make Pistons. Sure oh, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Subscribe to the podcast. Yep. Spread the Subscribe, word. Everybody. Get us out places. And, yep. yeah. So stay beautiful, everybody, and go Pistons.